Good. Good evening. Welcome to Crime Talk. Sorry about that. Hopefully, get all that turned down. You know, there's always something. Always something. All right. Good evening. My name is Scott Reich. This is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with me, my name is Scott Reich. We've been doing this little crime uh, talk channel for the last several years. And we've been talking about cases, trying to give you information that basically you're not going to get on your evening news in the 30 seconds that they have to tell you about important breaking news and cases out there in between, you know, sports, weather, and the three-legged dog story to make us all feel much better about ourselves. So that's why we started Crime Talk, to be able to have some in-depth conversations. You know, and a lot of people sometimes think, oh, Scott, you're too pro whatever, you're too pro this. Listen, I've a been a defense attorney going on 28 years, but I'm going to tell you straight, just like I have to always tell it to my clients straight. This is the good thing about the case. This is the bad thing about the case. My opinion may change based upon new information that comes forward uh, in a particular case. Okay. Tonight, I'd like to talk about the Delphi uh, matters. Okay. Obviously, a lot of breaking news the last couple of, I guess, last week or so. But why do I still it feels like I'm getting this feedback? But there's um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's something that just doesn't feel right to me. And I'm not exactly sure what it is, but something seems weird. Okay. Frank, can you go ahead and pull up the picture of the guy that we've that they've arrested in the Delphi matter here? There's that guy. You can go get that, Frank. So there's the guy, Richard Allen. He's been arrested for the Delphi murder. Okay. These murders take place several years ago. We're going on five, six years now, right? Nobody in this small town of 3,000 people have recognized, hey, this guy could be a suspect. And as I was doing some show prep tonight, you know, I went back and was doing, you know, well, show prep. And I'm looking at all these videos. I'm looking at these reports about all this information that has come out. And multiple times, basically, these police in Indiana have said that they've got their guy. They think they're getting close. They've got the guy or they know who it is. But they said, ultimately, we think the person lives in Delphi and they are hiding in plain sight. Bring in Richard Allen, this guy. He's a pharmacy technician at the local CVS. Now, it's a small town of 3,000 people. Not everybody's running down to the CVS, but enough people are. It's a small community, right? Everybody knows everybody's business in that type of uh, smaller community. And, you know, I not everybody's business, but you know what I mean. You've seen people around. And so what takes place? Nobody happens to think, hey, when I see this guy, this sketch, you know, the first person I think of is Richard Allen. 
that seems a little odd to me. Now, I get it. 3,000 people, that's a lot of people. But it's not that many people. We're not talking about a city of, you know, 3 million people, a state of three. I mean, it's just not that, that surprising. And more importantly, let's take a look at the video of the guy walking, right? Here, watch this video. Look at that walk. Very distinct walk. Clearly, the guy's got some knee issues there or something, right? The way he's picking it up, right? And nobody happens to notice in this small town of 3,000 people. Hey, by the way, not only does this guy, Richard Allen, look like that guy, he's got that exact same limp. And nobody happens to notice it. Maybe the guy kept to himself. Maybe when he allegedly wasn't out kidnapping and doing terrible things to these young girls, uh, you know, he walks just fine. But it makes me wonder what's going on. You think somebody would have said, hey, this is it. And then go back, Frank, to the other picture that they released. And remember, this was the picture that the Delphi uh, police or, you know, the Indiana State Police, the, you know, the sketch with the curly haired guy. This was the Delphi murder suspect, right? They, being the police, were trying to say that that's the same guy. Now, you tell me, does that look like the same guy? One guy, all of a sudden, he is short, curly hair. I, I don't know. It doesn't look like it. But then, you know, then we got, go to the other former potential suspect. This guy, Kevin Klein. Look at that specimen of a human being. Every teenage girl's dream, fantasies come true. Not Okay, and for somebody to say, why are you making fun of his appearance? I'm not. I'm just simply saying most teenage girls aren't going to be particularly attracted to all oh, that guy, Kevin Klein, right? It's going to be his shots screen profile guy with the guy with the uh, ribbed stomach and, and all that uh, kind of stuff, right? So here we got this guy. And so, like I said, I hope the police... I mean, we're going to give Mr. Allen the presumption of innocence because we do that for everybody that we talk about here on Crime Talk because, well, they're entitled to it. And, and frankly, we don't want to get scoot, sued if the police get it wrong, right? Yeah, you can have your opinions, but let's be safe, right? We're going to give him the presumption of innocence unless and until he pleads guilty or if he's convicted by a jury of his peers which could come as early as March of next year if everything works out great for us, right? Wouldn't that be fabulous if this trial actually progressed in, a, in an efficient manner? I would say yes. However, I, I doubt it that that will actually take place. I think it's very unlikely uh, that it will take place. And you may say, Scott, why? I mean, he's entitled to that constitutional right of a speedy trial. They've set this presumptive trial date sometime, I think, March 20th 
of 2023. Let's go do this thing. And I'm, and I'm all for it. But unfortunately, when I was doing the, the prep for tonight's show, you know, the Indiana State Police have received some uh, 5,000 tips, right? What, what does that mean? It means the defense is probably going to have to go check those out. They're going to have to go talk with people. I mean, we've got a couple of alternate suspects already here in the Delphi area. Remember this Ronald Logan guy? He was an older guy. Um, hell, his jacket, the photo that I was looking at, it's not identical, but it looks very similar to the one of the guy walking on the tracks. An old guy. The police searched his house. He lived nearby. Um, and they said that his voice was not inconsistent with the voice captured on uh, German's phone, Miss German's phone. Um, so you got all these potential alternate suspects, right? When you go into court on a case like this, we've talked about this before. Remember, we did our little Love It exercise last weekend. They have to prove that it was him. And in this particular case, they, the prosecution, has to prove that it was Mr. Allen, not somebody that looked like him, not someone using his identity, but it was in fact Mr. Allen on this particular gate date on this particular date. And that he did this. Sure, you can say, oh, well, it's conspiracy. Maybe it was a complicity thing. Maybe he was working with this Kevin Klein guy and they were trying to groom. Um, you know, through this Snapchat to meet these girls. And that's why they police believe that Klein, Kevin Klein knew who did it, even if he wasn't involved in this particular situation, right? But then you got the uh, other guy who's a potential uh, suspect in this particular case, this Ronald Logan guy. I think he's one, he may, I think he may be dead, right? I think he's dead. Um. I mean, the guy was 77 years old, but he lived near the house or lived near the bridge. He was near his house, et cetera. Alternate suspect, right? And, you know, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to speculate, but I'm just trying to think like a defense attorney would because we haven't had the affidavit released in any way. Now, there's a picture of Mr. Logan. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. Does he walk with a limp? Does Mr. Allen walk with a limp? Because that guy walking on the bridge, they say the suspect walks like a limp, has it walks with a limp. And remember that, I mean, the police thought that was the suspect going back to 2017. 2017. I mean, 3,000 people, even if you have a small police force, I mean, what do you do? You, you can go down and get the public information on voting records, right? Find all the males that live in that county. Maybe just go through them one by one. Hey, that could be that guy. I don't know. I mean, the Indiana State Police guy had a press conference and said he could even be in this room, the murderer. He said that at one point. And they showed a picture of an older gentleman who's there, you know, just trying to learn more about the thing. Somehow, ooh, maybe it could be him. Well, that's the thing. They got to prove it's him. 
And when the police have already thrown out these people, it's like, yeah, we thought it, we think it's this guy. Ooh, we're getting, we're getting warm. Oh, but we're not, we can't prosecute the case because we don't have probable cause yet. Oops. And they say, oh, we're getting real close. It's this Kevin Klein guy. We think he had something to do with it. Um, and then there was the other guy. I should have written this down. But remember, he was a guy that was in Indiana. It was like going around threatening hikers with um, like a hammer or something during that same time period. And he was actually extradited back to Indiana on unrelated charges. But the guy was extradited from Colorado. That's why I remember it. And it just thought weird that um, there's another potential alternate suspect. Sure, he was cleared, I guess, but uh, it just shows you uh, the police got a little excited over this, and I get it, and I understand a lot of pressure on the police. They have all these individuals, these family members, the community wants to know what's going on. Then you got the people out here in the court of public opinion. Um, here we are, right? They want to get something solved. They want to get it done. I get it. But when you're going around accusing people of a crime, and this is where I think things get a little weird. Like I said, I, I'm not, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not a conspiracy guy. Uh, but who doesn't love a good conspiracy, right? We've still been talking about JFK forever. Who did it? Was it the Cubans? Was it the CIA? Was it the military industrial complex? Who doesn't love a good conspiracy theory, right? But as I've said before, and I will say it again, Okay, as a criminal defense attorney, it doesn't matter what I think took place. It only matters what I can prove. And what it mean, what I mean by that is only matters what is legal and competent evidence in court. That's all that matters. Okay, you can have all the theories you want about anything in the world. Unless you can prove it, it doesn't matter. It's just a hypothetical theory. Okay. Um, and I look here at the comments. So they must, the police must have found evidence. Karen eight one nine eight six. I cannot disagree with you, Karen. They must have found something, right? And the question is, this guy's been living in Richard Allen's been living there in in Delphi for many many years. I think at least the last ten to sixteen years, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, we went to uh, crimetalksearch.com, used our little background stuff. This guy is as boring as they come. Plain Jane guy. Go ahead and put a picture of Richard Allen, right? The neighbors uh, said, you know, he seems nice enough. Uh, people at work there saw him, said seems nice enough, but he kind of kept to himself. Does that make you a murderer? I don't know. Some days when I go home at the end of the day, I don't want to talk with anybody, right? I just want to sit there. Of course, you know, with the lovely Miss Kristen, of course. Always want to talk with her. But you know what I'm saying? I don't want to deal with anybody else. So the guy has a long day at work. He goes home, keeps to himself. So what? Doesn't make you a murderer. Did the wife find something? I mean, I've seen people say, well, they must have found his altar down there. But then other people said, well, the cops were out there by the fire pit that he never uses. Right? Which is weird. Okay. But I guess only got to do it once. But then the police said early on in the affidavit that was obtained Gosh, over a year ago, it was a um, podcasting website that got part of an affidavit, and it was heavily redacted, but you got the gist of it. And the FBI's theory of the case was that this was some sort of sexual gratification type of thing, and uh, the killer took 
some sort of uh, souvenir with them. Well, did they find this souvenir? I don't know. Which gets me back to the bigger issue. Why do we not know? Okay. Why not? I understand this case is going to attract a lot of media. It already has. And not to minimize it, but there are lots of investigations. There are lots of people that get arrested for murder. There's lots of murders that take place in the United States every year. And somehow, some of these jurisdictions think, oh my gosh, we can't tell the public. We just cannot tell the public what's going on. They just won't understand. We're going to prejudice the rights of the defendant. It's, oh my gosh, it's terrible, it's terrible, it's terrible, terrible. Who cares? I hate to say it. it is just another homicide case. And I'm not trying to minimize it. No disrespect. But what makes this case different about the guy that walks in somewhere or he, he does something terrible to his family and his kids? It isn't. There's nothing so unique and peculiar about this particular case that the court should hold an initial hearing in chambers. The prosecution should object to the unsealing of the affidavit for the arrest warrant. And as far as we know, the first advisement, Mr. Allen wasn't even given an attorney, not even a public defender say, hey, man, I'm your public defender. I don't know if you're going to use me or not, but it's initial advisement, man. You got you got some pretty serious charges. Uh, they're going to set your bond really high, so you're never probably going to be able to make it. Uh, but you need to keep your mouth shut. Is there anyone you want me to contact? What would you like to do, right? When you're in custody, you qualify for a court-appointed attorney. Apparently, Mr. Allen said, no, I'm going to hire an attorney. Then they moved him from one county detention center to another. And then this, uh, was it the Judge uh, Judge uh, Diner? Is that an, I think I pronounced his name correctly. D-I-E-N-E-R. Who transferred... Allen out of the jail to the Indiana Department of Corrections for safekeeping. Now, I'm not exactly sure how big the Carroll County Detention Center is there in that particular county. It's probably a county jail. Somehow I'm going to go on a limb here and say that there is not such a huge population in custody there that he would be unsafe. I think that he would be okay. You would put him in the shoe. What is affectionately known as the shoe? It's called the special housing unit. It's where people go when they're in protective custody. It's where they go when, um, what's the word I'm looking for? When, um, when they uh, don't play well with others when they're in custody. You put them in the shoe. No big deal, right? To send him to the Department of Corrections because the judge is worried about his safety? Really? Whose safety? Why should he have any concern? The sheriff has a duty to protect him. I mean, what? If they don't protect the guy, he's going to wind up, winds up something bad. I mean, what are they going to do? Is he going to be suicided or something, right? Uh, and then they're going to get sued. And why would they want to do that? So they're going to protect this guy. And then the judge, before he recuses himself, says, well, we're not going to 
do anything until November 22nd, which is, you know, man, we're getting dangerously close to whether there should be motions filed uh, during this time period for a motion for change of venue. Now, I can tell you when somebody gets arrested, yes, they usually get a, access to a phone call, right? But then if you don't have any money on you, you, you don't just get to go dial the phone normally. Maybe in some smaller jurisdictions you can. I have seen that. Bigger jurisdictions, man, if you don't have money to use the phone or on your books, or somebody's put money on your books, you don't get to do it. You got to be set up on the ICCS system or whatever the money-making thing is. They charge you all this money for these phone calls, right? So who's to say this guy's had an opportunity? You know, is his family standing behind him? Is his family saying, we want nothing to do with you? Somebody needs to be doing something so that the guy gets represented. Where's the public defender? I mean, the court should say, hey, you're in custody, man. You're entitled to free counsel at this point. Why did the judge not bring in the public defender? It's just weird. And so then this Judge Diener guy writes all this stuff saying that, um, you know, in this in this order, he says this finding is not predicated on any acts of alleged or alleged acts of the defendant since arrest, rather a toxic and harmful insistence on public information about a defendant in this case. I don't know where this Judge Diener went to law school, but, you know, he should probably brush up and, you know, read on the Constitution. Right. You have a right to a speedy and a public trial. Right. We kind of pride ourselves in this country on being open and forthright. And we don't have little secret trials, you know, Russia, China, third world despots. They do their trials in the darkness. They say, oh, no, no, we're you, you people. It's these you're not familiar with these sophisticated legal ways. You won't understand. So we're going to do this all in, in the back. You guys are just you. You're too stupid to know what's going on and you just can't handle it. That's what they do because they don't want you to see the truth. Listen, if they have a slam dunk case against this guy, then let's hope justice is served. If he's not the right guy, let's hope justice is served, right? Who wants an innocent man to be convicted of a crime that he didn't commit just to make everybody feel good that we close the books on that one? Nobody wants that. Right. I mean, the fundamental position of our government and judicial systems always been it's better to let 10 guilty men go free than one innocent man be convicted of a crime they, he did not do. Now, we all know that's not true. We know innocent people get convicted all the time. I mean, I'm not naive to think that it works all the time. In fact, it hasn't it's failed many, many times. Um, but at least make it a fair trial for the guy give him his attorney uh, so like i said this judge saying all this stuff and i mean seriously and this is what i don't get okay um how do i want to say this without i don't get this judge Diener. here he has the biggest case that happened in his entire jurisdiction probably during his entire career he'll never have another case like this again and he's like, whoa, I got to recuse. Now, if he has a legitimate reason to recuse, like maybe he's good friends with a key witness in the case, I can respect that. And he says, you know, I just can't be fair and impartial. I know this guy, I trust him. 
I get it. But guess what? Small town, that's going to happen all the time. So I doubt this is the first time that somebody he knows really well or went to church with or, you know, the kids play on the same baseball team or something is really the first time this has ever taken place, right? So I don't know why he recused himself. He doesn't have to tell anybody. He just says, I recused. Does he have a financial interest in it? You know, does, who knows? That's normally the case uh, when judges are to recuse. And I, and I talked about this today. I, I have... I would consider him more than an acquaintance, probably not like a great friend, but he was a judge. But before he was a judge, you know, kids get in trouble. Young kids get in trouble. Minor little matter, no big deal. Then they become a judge. Okay. It's always a compliment when, you know, somebody that's a judge refers you business. Like, hey, they've seen a lot of attorneys in action and they're referring them to me. That's a pretty nice compliment, right? And, um, but the judge never recused himself. He just said, Hey, I just want to let everybody know there's, if there's a problem, let me know and I'll, I'll step away. No one ever said anything. They knew this judge was going to be fair and impartial, but for a judge to, um, you know, just be because he's scared that something would take place. Well, what does the judge have to be scared about? Somebody's saying, well, Scott, the, the reason the judge recused himself is that people were doxing him and his family. Basically, we're leaving the home address and the photos of him and all this other stuff. Okay, welcome to being a judge. You think that stuff isn't public information? Really? Come on, judge. And if that's your concern and you don't think you can do it, I mean, what would the judge have to do if he's following the law? What does he have to be concerned about? You know, there's always going to be crazy people. If you think there's a problem, they're going to protect you, right? So if that's it, I, I, okay, I get it. Maybe you got small kids what uh, fine but it kind of seems a little weak to me okay and i've always been the attorney so to speak of i remember when i was a young defense attorney i'm like i want to be where all the action is i want the worst case the worst facts and let's go try this thing we're gonna go do it right because that's what you want to do it's kind of like the football player that's you know it's the Super Bowl. It's the last quarter. The score is tied. And you got everybody saying, give me the ball. I want the ball. I'm not going to drop the ball. I'm going to do great when I get the ball. I'm going to score, right? You would think that's what a judge who truly loves being a judge is going to say, I understand there's risk. There's always risk. Hell, a judge, something bad could happen to a judge because somebody gets upset on a little traffic matter. You never know what somebody's going to do. But to say, oh, they're saying on my name. So what, judge? You think it's not public information? Seems a little weak to me. Really does. Okay? And if you're following the law, you're doing everything above board, what do you have to worry about? Right? Even if you're a judge and say, you know, I had to grant a motion to suppress. Uh, the police completely screwed this up. I'm sorry, but I got to follow the law. You know, maybe bad guy goes free. Judge is supposed to do that all the time. I mean, frankly, I'm not telling the people of Indiana how to do it. I think they vote on their judges out there. I mean, seriously, if this is what's this is this guy going to make the wrong decision? Well, I don't want anybody mean to me. I don't want the police officers not to talk to me because, you know, I'm in the judicial system. I mean, that's pretty weak. That comes with the job. Hell, I've known judges that... <laughs> You know, have clients. I, I've represented clients that have threatened judges. 
And all the judges are like, it's part of the job. I wasn't, didn't take any, only saw one case where my client, you know, the judge freaked out. Oh my God. Oh my God. For years, for years, the guy recused himself because I represented the guy. And I was like, that's exactly my point, judge. <laughs> you overreacted because all these other judges got allegedly threatened as well. And you were the only one that required all this protection. And everybody else is like, yeah, I wasn't particularly concerned about it. It's, it's kind of part of the job. Right. And I talked to those judges and the case is over and they're like, particularly worried. I mean, come on, it's part of being a judge. You're going to always have that one person that there. So I, I, so if that's the case, if he's worried about it, I, I, I just, I'm just not that impressed. Now this new judge, her name is Fran, F-R-A-N, middle initial C, Gull. <laughs> Francis C. Gull. Get it? C. Gull? <laughs> I know. Kind of a dad joke kind of thing. Now, we went through her bio uh, in today's show earlier. She seems very qualified. Been on the bench since the late 90s. Uh, administrative judge. Looks like she's the chief presiding judge uh, for her judicial uh, district, which means she's in charge of basically the criminal bench. Before that, she was a prosecutor, did serious um, prosecutions in the major crimes unit. So we're talking murders, homicides, uh, sexual assaults, you name it. She also did crimes against children there for a while. I don't know how or what the procedure is when in Indiana, when a judge recuses himself, normally it goes to the chief judge and then the chief judge, you know, says, Hey, are we recusing the entire bench or are we just recusing this? Um, you know, cause usually when there's like a victim, that's a judge, the whole bench recuses themselves and they bring in a visiting judge. It look kind of sounds like they recused everybody and, but there only be one or two judges in this particular jurisdiction. So they bring in this, uh, Judge Judge Gull, G-U-L-L, -L, and I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. If not, no disrespected. She has a very solid resume. Um, I don't know anything about her. Uh, I, I did have somebody send me a comment after today's show that we put up and um, said that they're familiar with her. She's a very fair judge and that she will be a good judge for the job, which I say kudos to the Indiana Supreme Court for selecting this judge. That's all everyone wants. You know, I've, I, I told you this. Judges should not be biased. Judges should simply call balls and strikes. But so many judges want to get on the bench and they want to have their own little agenda. Your job, your agenda as a judge is to follow the law. Good, bad, whatever the decision is, follow the law. And I still remember that I've mentioned this before many, many times. Years ago, I got to see uh, Justice Scalia speak at a uh, book signing. It was a book signing that he, that he had. You know, it was one of those things you go to a, a CLE and he was the speaker and he, you know, was there signing books. And he went, it was very interesting, obviously, this is before he passed away, but he was very about like, what is a judge? And he was always like, you know, like, uh, all the stuff in the congressional record don't really care. Only thing that matters is what the words say. We're lawyers. Words matter. Mean They mean thing. Um, you know, and if it's not there, it's not there. 
And he was talking about the case, and he and I've and I've and I love this quote. I've even put it in briefs when I really wanted to kind of, hey judge, I need you to make a hard decision here. And uh, you know, like, hey, I know I'm right. I know this is a tough decision. You don't want to, you know, do this, but you got to do this. And um, so I put it in there. It's a quote from Justice Scalia, and he says, you know, part of the the you know, being a good judge is you don't always get the result that you want. And the, he gave an example as to that. And he said, he was talking about the flag burning case. I think it originated out of Texas. And he said, do you know who the, it was a plurality decision. So it was five, four. He goes, do you know who the fifth vote was? He said, that was freedom of speech. He goes, it was me. And then Justice Scalia said, you know, am I offended by people that were, you know, burning down the flag, right? And he said, of course I am. I found it disgusting and abhorrent, but I also found it the epitome of free speech. And so he said, as an individual, I would have loved to have said that should be a crime as the Texas legislature had made it. But that wasn't my job, his, his own political decision. His, he said, but as a judge, that clearly fit into the description of exercising the First Amendment rights, including desecrating the flag. And so I thought that was very interesting. And so he, you know, the point is, is as a good judge, what makes a good judge? A judge is going to follow the law and a judge is not always going to get the result they want. And he said, if you're a judge and you always get the result that you want, you always going to get to the decision that you're happy with, you're not going to be a very good judge because you're not being a judge. The judge is to follow the law, not to just, you know, be this, you know, court of equity that sits here and we're going and, and not, not to change it, but it, there used to be courts of equity going back to the common law days where basically the king would come in and have his judges and they would, you know, split the baby kind of thing, right? The Solomon stuff. Well, we'll just split the baby court of equity. If there wasn't a specific uh, remedy that was available, they used to refer to as courts of equity. Don't really have much of that much anymore, but yes, that's it's not in the modern day terms, so to speak. Uh, where the judge could make make decisions. So I think that's this judge goal. Um, I don't know anything about her other than what I've read in the bio that we've talked about. I've had a uh, person said I'm familiar with this judge. Good judge should be fair. That's all we can ask. Just call balls and strikes. That's all judges are supposed to do. Balls and strikes. I mean, I've said this before. Imagine if you went to, think of the courtroom as a baseball game, right? You got the teams on the other side. You got the judge behind the own plate. And what if the, uh, you know, let's just say, I don't know, the Phillies and the uh, Astros are playing, right? And the umpire came out with an Astros hat on. You'd say, hey, that's not fair. Uh, I think you're biased. You should recuse yourself. And he says, oh, don't worry about it. I mean, sure, I got this Astro fan on. Sure, I grew up here all the time. Or the, you know, Houston, but don't worry about it. It's all good. Trust me. You'd be skeptical of it, right? Same thing. Just switch the hats around. You'd say it's not fair. So a judge may, deep down, maybe he grew up in Houston. And that's always been his team. But when he goes out there, he cannot show any favoritism one way or the other to the team. That's the way it's supposed to be. 
oftentimes we lose sight of that. And I think sometimes our judges want to be judges for the wrong reason, which I always find it interesting. Uh, so yeah, well, we'll go. anyway, we digress. Let's get back to Mr. Allen, right? Um, oh, let's take a look at these. Yeah. Look at this, Frank, the hardest working man in show business. Look at this. So top left, that's supposedly one of the first sketches that came out. Then the second one to the right was the individual who they said, well, we believe this is the real murderer. The guy in the bottom left, I have to go back and check his name, but he was the guy that was extradited from Colorado, who was going around threatening people, etc. And he ultimately got sent back to Indiana for some other crimes. Then we got Kevin Klein there. Um, <laughs> I don't know. And I'm not trying to be disparaging, but I just think that this guy really think I get now why he's got to catfish these young ladies, but really when they show up and they say, you're not uh, Mr. Shots with Ferraris and uh, Lamborghinis and a uh, washboard stomach. Does he really think that they're going to be, you know, that imp I just don't get it. Uh, and then we have the other gentleman here uh, who lived near the scene that the police searched his house. He apparently had guns and knives. So, you know, he had to be guilty of something. Well, there's nothing there. And then Mr. Klein just out of the blue one day. I still want to know what did they find? But if we knew that, um, you know, I mean, I, I just, I, I just don't get it. I don't understand. Why do these small towns? I mean, let's take a look at the Delphi case, right? We got the Delphi case. We got the Lori Vallow case of James Brian Chadwell. That was the guy's name. Thank you, Frank. Um, and, and, and I'm not disparaging smaller communities. There are more smaller communities than there are larger communities. But these smaller communities just don't get that kind of guns and knife kind of crime as frequently. I'm not saying they can't solve it. They just don't get it as frequently as the big cities. So they get a little more routine. It's a little more flow. I mean, here we are. This goes back to 2017, right? Five years later. Five years later, over five years, five and a half, almost six years, right? February will be six years. And um, they weren't able to come up with anything, right? And then all of a sudden, one day, did his wife turn him in? The kids turn him in? Did somebody say, you know what? I was looking at that. And, uh, and we have that photo where he's taking a selfie in the bar. And there's the mugshot or the sketch in the back. And then he's got pictures of his daughter that we've put up on our show where he's like his daughter's taking picture right about where the girls would have gone missing. I mean, strange coincidence. I don't know. Oh, I, who knows? Or just weird and creepy, right? I don't know. I just don't understand why these smaller communities, just like in the Lori Vallow case, say, oh, no, we can't let anybody know. We're so concerned about the uh, defendant's constitutional right to a fair trial. Listen, that trial is not going in Delphi. 
Okay. It's not going to be in that county jurisdiction. Everybody's going to know somebody, right? It's going to get moved. So move along. It's going to be moved to a big city more than likely. I would, if I was a betting man, I would put two bucks on that. Right. And, um, we'd have to wait and see what happened, but, the, but it's not going to be in that little town. It's just not going to happen that way. Assuming the case can even go forward. I don't know. Maybe Mr. Allen can get himself an attorney. You know, he needs to uh, see what they can do. But I, I, I'd like to see what the evidence is. We, as the public, have a right to know. And I just, the judge's comment, the bloodlust for information. I mean, no one wants to do anything illegal to see what's going on in this particular case. But the public has a right to know. I'm trying to see if I have my super duper handy I must have moved it wait hold on now thought i had my super duper handy um pocket constitution here on the table i must have uh moved it here hold on let's see nope don't have it handy but the sixth amendment you know it's pretty um pretty straightforward you have a right to that uh, public trial and uh, it's pretty straightforward right and uh, the right to an open trial uh, goes more than just to the trial it goes to a lot of the pretrial proceedings and if the judges do that, that's a constitutional violation. It could be a do-over. That's why I do not get um, why these judges do this. Um, there have been United States Supreme Court case law where the case has been reversed because somebody has removed somebody from the courtroom that had a right to be there, that wasn't being disruptive in any way possible. And so when these judges think that, oh, we're, we're going to protect everybody, we're gonna, all you're doing is messing up your record. Um, you're messing up your the record for a violation of the Sixth Amendment, an open public trial. We don't do that. The founding father said, listen, man, I mean, I'm, we've talked about this before. The Constitution to the United States, the original 13 colonies, wasn't going to get ratified, wasn't going to happen unless the first 10 amendments to the Bill of Rights were signed, Right. And what were those things? Things that they really thought that the king did, and he did do them, and he didn't, people didn't like it. And they said, we're not doing it unless we have a guarantee. Unless these guys, because we know human nature, we know that when people get in charge, they, well, they like to do things that uh, favor themselves. And people have, it can become corrupt. And so we want to be able to protect ourselves. And they thought, hey, listen, if the king or the new government gets out of hand, we have a right to change all this, right? So let's go through it. First Amendment, right? 
freedom of press. The press cannot be told what to print and what not to print. It shouldn't be censored by anybody in the government. Freedom of speech. You can't criminalize things that people don't like because it's going to hurt their feelings. Now, yes, you can have a civil remedy because, right, the because constitutional rights only apply to the government, right? The government can't infringe upon those. Um, you know, private companies can censor you all they want. Um, people can say mean and nasty things about you. They can, you can sue them for that, but the government can't make it illegal to do that. They can't say, you know, we're going to throw you in the gallows if, if you say mean things against the government or in an individual. You can't do that. You still criminal, you know, or civil responsibility, but you can't do that. Uh, so you got freedom of speech, press, assembly. Hey, if we want to have a, a rally, show we support or don't support somebody, the, the government can't come and break it up. They thought that was pretty darn important. And then the second thing that they thought that was, you know what? Not only do we, we're not going to do this thing because we want to practice our religion. We want to have free speech. We want to be able to criticize the, the people in charge. And uh, we don't want to get thrown in jail for it. Oh, by the way, you got to have a gun. So everyone's going to have a gun. You better, you have a right to a gun. You can't take it away. Supreme Court has said that's a fundamental right. You can't do it. So you can't say you can't have a gun unless you're a prohibited person. Very res few restrictions on it. Everybody have a gun. Third right, right? Most people don't even know the third. You can't quarter troops in your home. Guess what? Not a big deal today, 2022. But back then when they were trying to ratify the Constitution, it was a big deal, right? The, the uh, British would come over here and they would oppress the people when they didn't like it, you know, like throw tea in the, in the harbor, all that kind of stuff, not pay taxes. And the king would say, well, that's okay, Mr. Farmer, you're going to put up uh, these troops and you're going to feed them and make sure they're comfortable. And so we're not going to do that. Fourth Amendment, right? Unreasonable search and seizure. Can't go rummaging through your stuff, right? What if the police officer walked up and said, uh, I'm going to go in and search your house. I'm not sure what I'm looking for, but uh, I'll know it when I see it. But I think you're really guilty. You fit the profile, right? You wouldn't allow that. Neither would our founding fathers in the Constitution. Applies today, right? Unreasonable search and seizure. Fifth Amendment, right to due process, right to be able to have a court, right? Can't take your life, liberty, or property without due process of law. They can take your property, but they got to pay for it. Fair market value. They can take your life, give you due process. They can take your liberty. Got to be due process. Jury, right? Sixth Amendment, right to an uh, due. The Sixth Amendment, United States guarantee Constitution sets forth the right related to criminal prosecutions, ratified in 1791 as Bill of Rights, applied the protections of this amendment by the states, the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. So that means federal rights apply to the states via the 14th Amendment. They cannot be infringed, they can actually be expanded upon. Right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury consistent of jurors from the state and district in which the crime alleged would have been committed. Jury must be unbiased, must consist of representative cross-section of the community. Um, 
right to jury trial only applies if it's basically six months. That's not in the Constitution, but um, Sixth Amendment requires that the criminal defendant be given notice of the nature and cause of accusations against them. So, Mr. Allen, do we really know if he was advised, advised like, OK, you're being charged with this felony murder under Indiana state law? Here are the possible penalties. Send him off to the jail. Why is it not being done on the open record in open court? I, I don't like when the government does things behind closed doors, right? What's the thing people I think about the politicians, uh, the smoke filled room. Exactly. Shouldn't be taking place in a courtroom either. Also gives the confrontation clause. Um, uh, Sixth Amendment gives notice of crime. Confrontation clause, the right to confront and cross-examine all witnesses. Compulsory due process, which basically means the right to call their own witnesses and in some cases compel the witnesses to testify via subpoena power if they wouldn't come. Assistance of counsel grants criminal defense the right to be assisted by counsel, right? Gideon v. Wainwright. Supreme Court case that's held that a public defender must... Pre- be provided to a criminal defendant unable to afford an attorney in all trials where the defendant faces the possibility of imprisonment. So what does, I mean, public trial, Supreme Court case ruled that um, the right to a public trial, although not absolute, where excess publicity would serve to undermine the defendant's right to due process limitations we put on the public. Okay, I get that. Um, They're going to try to argue that a trial should be closed at the behest of the government if there's an overriding interest based upon the findings that closure is essential to preserve the higher value and narrowly tailored to serve that interest. The court, the accused may also request closure of the trial, though it must be demonstrated the first that there is substantial probability the defendant's right to a fair trial will be prejudiced by publishing it, uh, by pub- by closing it. Um I'm telling you, I've seen cases, Supreme Court cases, where they object one person um, from the courtroom. That's closed close proceedings. You can't kick people out. You can't lock the doors and say, oh, we're going to have a sensitive witness, a child witness here on the stand. Nope, can't do that. Bad stuff. Can't do that. So anyway, we'll see. I'll see. I mean, like I said, I hope, if Mr. Allen is the guy, if he's guilty, then... Let justice prevail. If he's not the guy, then we want justice to prevail. But I think we should be allowed to be able to see the evidence. It's not going to affect the case. Impartiality. The attorneys, the prosecution and defense are going to be prohibited by ethical rules that they can't go out there and taint it. But you know, another case, um, the Suzanne Morphew case, the Barry Morphew case here in Colorado that we talked about. Remember the case where she, the missing mom disappears on Mother's Day of all days to ultimately arrest the uh, husband, Barry Morphew, and they submit like a 132-page affidavit. As And the judge even commented, like, half of this stuff isn't even admissible, shouldn't even be considered. It's hearsay, speculation. I mean, it's just ridiculousness. These cops had all these weird theories about, you know, how he allegedly did. They ultimately dismissed the case. It was a joke. I said, I've never seen a 132-page affidavit on a homicide case. Normally, you know, homicide, uh, 
three quarters to a page at the most, a couple of pages. Uh, this is the person that did it. This is what we did. I mean, 132 pages to try and get. That's a weak case. So it's curious to see if their affidavit is nothing more than a chronological timeline of everything they've ever done in this case. If that's the case, weak. Yes, they have to put the good, the bad, and the ugly in the affidavit. But hopefully it's not 132 pages long, for goodness sakes. Um, it's it's just ridiculous to me. I don't know. I'm, I believe in open, particularly when it comes to the government. Um, we, we just need to see it. We need to know it. It's, and the defendant has a right to do it, too. He may not. I mean, sure. I mean, the defense attorney is going to say, oh, we don't want this tried in the press. We're going to try it in the courtroom. Okay, great. But we're entitled to it. So hopefully it doesn't turn into a fiasco. And that's always my fear. I mean, look at the case. Um, was it Daryl? Uh, what was his name? The the guy at Waukesha uh, thing. I think we already blocked out his name. That judge, she kept it on a tight schedule. She's like, oh, you want to play games? Nope. You're getting your, there's no conflict with the PD. You're going to trial. He wanted to represent himself. They got through that trial. We need a strong judge in this particular case, and I hope that this Judge Gull, um, Fran, I think is her name, Fran C. Gull, um, if she is the one that's the judge, I hope she's the right judge for it. She's going to move this thing along and get it done. Think about the great judges in the case. Where they didn't go on forever. Some of the worst judges you can think of, right? Judge Ito, the O.J. Simpson case. That was a two-week trial at most that he turned into an eight-month fiasco, right? I think of the Oklahoma City bombing case. One of the best judges that I've ever been in front of was Judge Mage, right? Would they have 260 deceased in that particular case where the government had to prove each and every one of those elements beyond a reasonable doubt? That whole trial lasted like two months. So I and he kept a strict schedule. He moved the case along. There was no shenanigans, and he wasn't going to have unqualified attorneys in his courtroom. And hopefully, this judge, this judge Gull, I'm going to I'm holding that hope that she's going to be fabulous. That she's going to uh, hold everybody's feet to the fire, protect the defendant's constitutional rights, and make sure that he receives a fair trial. And if he's guilty, make sure you had a fair trial. That's all you can ask for, right? But the prosecutors and the judges are screwing up. Maybe this judge will come back and say, hey, I, we're not doing this. We're not doing this in private. Um, you know, usually it's the sheriff or the defendant's going to request that somebody's in, in danger. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I just hope the judge does it. Um, they should disclose it all. That's what it comes down to. We can handle it. People of Indiana in the judicial system. We can handle it. And guess what? When we get it, I will explain it to them fair and impartially if there's any misunderstanding. But it should be simple enough for everybody to explain. You don't have to be a lawyer to know this stuff. It's common sense. Don't harm people. If you did it, fine. Give them a fair trial. Present the evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. They're going to have a fair trial somewhere in Indiana, but I doubt it's going to be down there in Delphi in the county that it's located in. So what does it matter? And I guarantee you, you go to a big enough city, there's going to be somebody that doesn't know anything about this case. I guarantee it. 
I guarantee it. So, all right. Um, quick parting shot. CrimeTalkSearch.com. Go to that. Get your background subscription service. Hit that link. I'm telling you. Uh, do a background search on somebody you're concerned about. Maybe don't know what you want to do. It just depends, you know, like even these individuals, let's say that hypothetically, if you wanted to look up all the people involved in particular cases, you can do that. We'll see what their criminal history is. Are they married, divorced? Do they own property? Do they have a criminal history? Are they, you know, on a particular registry of some type for maybe some sort of conduct they may have engaged in, right? Check them out. CrimeTaxSearch.com. You can cancel at any time. And I'm telling you, you won't want to because You'll be sitting there thinking, I don't like that person at work. I wonder, there's just something not right about them. Trust me, check them out. Take it from a guy who had an employee steal a lot of money from him. Check them out. Don't trust anybody. Even if they were referred to by your college friends and, and coworkers, high school friends and coworkers, trust me, check them out. Everybody, crimetalksearch.com. All right, have a wonderful night. We'll see you next time. And we'll be over to the Patreon show here in just a minute. So for all of our Patreon members, we'll see you shortly. Have a wonderful night. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.